You're listening to Parenting Our Future. I'm parenting expert, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in all different areas of your parenting so you can create strong connections with your kids, get all the cooperation you want, and live a life that is full of joy and connection. And by the way, the tools and solutions that you're looking for in your parenting don't just live in each episode of my show. They're also in my free membership site, The Parent Toolbox, where you can access tools created by myself and my brilliant guests that cover everything from helping your kids to sleep, managing meltdowns, reducing overwhelm to getting your kids to listen the first time and so much more. Join The Parent Toolbox so you can download and use the tools that are ready on the site and Each week, a brand new tool is added. And of course, the best part is it's absolutely free to join and to stay in. You can go to www.parent-toolbox.com today. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to share with you another podcast that I think you're going to find really interesting. It's called Didn't I Just Feed You? It's a weekly candid conversation about feeding our families, even for parents who hate to cook. Hosts Stacey Billis and Megan Splawn are two food professionals who get real about feeding kids, tweens, and teens because they're also busy working moms, so they get it. They talk about how to turn things like nachos into a legit family dinner, to the magic of meatballs, to solving the after-school snack problem, even reducing kitchen waste and debt all at once. They chat with guests from Food Network stars to everyday moms who, let's be honest, are the real experts. In fact, Didn't I Just Feed You is a staple on the iTunes Top 100 Food Podcasts and the only food podcast made with parents in mind. Stacey and Megan are on a mission to make cooking easier, more delicious, and maybe even a little bit more fun. Find Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Now, you can also find Stacey and Megan on Instagram and Facebook as at Didn't I Just Feed You. Now let's dive into this next episode of Parenting Our Future. Hello, everybody. It's Robin McMahon here, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Parenting Our Future. And we're talking about something today that I haven't really addressed before, and that is really setting your kids up for success with their friendships. And what happens if your child has a friend that you don't like, or maybe they are being bullied, or maybe they're a bully? What do you do then? I am so happy to welcome expert Christina um, Christina Furnival here today. And she is a wife. She's a mom of two kiddos. She's a licensed psychotherapist, a writer, and children's book author with over a decade of experience in the mental health field. She's also passionate about supporting parents and children to understand themselves better, navigate challenges with confidence, and live the life they want. She also has founded an internationally enjoyed blog called Real Life Mama after going through postpartum depression and anxiety to support other moms going through the same. And she's also the author of a book called The Not-So-Friendly Friend, which is really what we're here to talk about today. So Christina, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this with you today. Oh, I'm so glad. You know, this, this is, again, this is something I haven't really talked about. And I'm so happy to have somebody who can really help us navigate this because we don't, I would say we don't really know how to teach this, right? Because I think when we want to teach our kids how to be friends, how to make friends with other kids, 
it might come from our own fear, right? Wow. Like, I don't want my kid to be alone. I don't want, you know, whatever. So let's just sort of start at the beginning. How do you start coaching your kids to make friends, to be a good friend? Let's start there. Right. Well, it all begins with social emotional skills mm-hmm. and what those are in essence is the ability to understand and relate to yourself and under understand and relate to other people as well. And they are the mm-hmm. skills that under underscore basically self-regulation, uh, self-control, um, the ability to think critically and problem solve the ability to have empathy and to mm-hmm. engage with other people in a healthy manner. We need these skills for going to school, for knowing how to stand in line or how to sit when we're supposed to sit. And we definitely need these skills when it comes to engaging with other people. And so as a parent, you know, as soon as your children are born, a lot of us start reading stories or talking through what we're doing, kind of narrating our day. And that's the very, very beginning of setting the tone for those social emotional skills. And then as they get older, there's so many books on the topics um, about processing your emotions, what are emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's really where we want to, to put emphasis because we want our children to recognize and identify what they're feeling to be able to label and name those feelings and then to be able to express what they want or need as a result. Right. And so, so many of us weren't brought up with the language of feelings and needs. So that's why it's so difficult for us to really help them do that. Right. And so what, what I hear you saying is we need our kids to be able to say, actually, what I'm feeling is scared instead of lashing out or, uh, you know, being dysregulated. And that's tough because our kids don't have a fully grown brain until Mm -hmm. they're in their mid to late twenties. Right. And so that's something that has to be cultivated over time. So how do you, how do you start naming those emotions? If you don't know how to do that yourself yet, If you're in a position where you don't have a great understanding of what you're feeling, that's definitely a harder place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting these sorts of books from the bookstore online that do talk about feelings can help you along the way as well. Mm -hmm. Because I think if you ask people to name emotions, we usually get four, happy, mad, sad, scared. Like those are, those are the general four that everyone can very quickly name, but there are over, over a hundred, they're probably hundreds of feelings that you could look up in the dictionary and find names for. Mm-hmm. And I have, um, this, this company called bright spots makes a feelings bingo game and a feelings matching game. And I really enjoy those. I used them in therapy when I worked with children and I use them with my own kiddos and mm-hmm. they are fabulous because you for the matching, you flip the cards. And when you find a set that matches, mm-hmm. then you have that conversation. Oh, it's the jealous rat. What does <laughs> jealous mean? When yeah. would we, we feel jealous? What does that feel like in your body? And that you kind of start those conversations to, to help your child grow that awareness, but also with you too. Cause yes. I realized even in playing that with my kiddos, Hmm, I don't know how to describe X, Y, or Z feeling, you know, to mm-hmm. actually just dis- to define what it is for them. And then I had to really work through myself. What's the best way to describe this feeling? How mm-hmm. can I let them know what uncertain means, you oh, know? Okay. So maybe it. it's a feeling where, you're just not sure. And you might feel a little nervous and scared, but you're curious too, you know? And so you kind of try and put the words to it. And so games like that can be a great way 
to give you the tools to come up with the conversations about these skills. Love that. So bright spots. That's very Mm -hmm. cool. I, I use, uh, I grok or sorry, grok the world. Uh, have you heard of grok the world? Yeah. So they are, they're rooted in nonviolent communication and it's all about the communication of feelings and needs. And actually you can download from their, uh, from their free section. I think it is a whole sheet of emotion words. And I actually use their sheet and I I give it to clients. I'll give it to anybody that, you know, it's not mine to give, but I, I, you know, I say, look, this is from, this is from Croc the world. They are incredible. And they're all, that's exactly what they're about too. So yes, I love love that. that you brought that up because look, we need some help. And I think what we also need to do is be aware of the words that we give to our girls versus the words we give to our boys, right? Because we sometimes give a cornucopia of words to our little girls and our boys get mad, sad, glad, you know, happy. What The the four that you just mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. But our girls are like, oh, do you have butterflies in your tummy? Are you feeling nervous? Are you worried? And the boys were like, suck it up. (laughs) Get over it. And that's not okay. Yeah, be tough. And they have butterflies too. (laughs) <laughs> they do. I remember I had a male client who was about 11 years old and he came to me with his mom because he was having anger outbursts mm. and we were really working on him identifying when his anger was rising before it got to that peak point. So we could bring it back down into the green zone earlier. Mm. And he was getting really good at not having these outbursts. But then what was happening was he was starting to cry more because he was taking that emotion of yeah. anger and it was being channeled into his a- the actual true feelings that were underneath the anger. Yeah, he was finally feeling them. And his mom was actually more worried about the crying than she was about the anger, because I think anger often is more accepted with boys or males than with, than it is uh, with females, but also then crying and vulnerable feelings are not as accepted with males um, as they are with females. So it, it is something to pay attention to if you notice, and like little girls, they might have these strong voice little girls and you, you'll hear them be called bossy. And you're like, well, how about they're showing leadership skills? You know, so we do need to watch our language. Our world, our words are so powerful. They are. And we often do label behavior in a negative way. And that doesn't serve us or our child because that's how we see them now. And we don't see the gifts that come with being assertive. Like how great we've got a little girl who's assertive, who is a leader, right? That's, that's bossy is not fair, you know? And also it doesn't often it doesn't often honor what's really happening inside. I th- I had a client one time who, if if you are my age, you know Little House on the Prairie, and there was a really good girl Laura and a really not good girl Nellie, and her parents called her Nellie, and she said she was screaming oh. inside, "I'm Laura, I'm Laura," you know. So how horrible is that to be seen that way when you in your heart feel so different to be yeah. that misunderstood. Well, and that goes back to what you were just asking about how do we help teach our kids these words, we need to pay attention to what we're saying and a great way that we can help them develop the language to describe their inner process is by sports casting or narrating what we see, oh you look like you're mad because your brother took your toy, but trying to be objective in our descriptions so not putting judgment onto it. You, you were mad because your brother was being so mean. I mean, that, that might be what you witnessed, but the objective description is you were mad because your brother took your toy. And then that way they can understand this is what happened. This is how I felt. And this is what I'm going to do about it now to help myself feel differently or process this feeling. And yeah, not putting judgment on it, on our descriptions of them and of, of the accounts. 
that happens. That's the key, right? Is no judgment. And I love that you said sportscaster. I'm totally going to feel that. I hope you don't mind, but yeah, I love no, that. I like, love okay, it. It's such what a I'm way. seeing here, everybody, is this Jay. Yeah, I love it. Oh my God. And he's running to second base. He's rounding the corner. And yeah. Exactly. I love it. That's so great. Okay. So let's sort of, let's bring it back to, to our kids and their friends. So here's the question that I get a lot. I, I hear that my daughter plays with her friend and she my so I'm going to, I'm going to give you a bunch of different scenarios. My, my daughter seems to be really bossy. There's that word again with her friends. What do I do? Okay. So this first scenario, if you feel like your child is kind of steamrolling the play, then I not calling them bossy, obviously, number one, talk, having a conversation with them and saying, Hey, it looks like when you're playing with your friend, that you're the one that is always deciding what's happening. And how would you feel if the shoe was on the other foot? How would you feel if your friend was trying to control all of the play? Well, I wouldn't like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think your friend maybe doesn't like that you're controlling all of the play? Maybe. So what could we do about it? And you have a conversation about, okay, well, how can we weigh what you want and what they want? And maybe either figure out if we take turns in which game we play, or if we choose what you want first, and then we choose what I want, or if you guys can combine your games into something that works for both of you and really just help them understand that it's not just about what they want and need, although it's important for them to acknowledge that. And that's kind of the idea of setting boundaries is I feel like at some point we're so afraid of our kids being bossy that we silence their voice because we want them to be amenable to everyone else around. Yeah, then they don't learn to trust their own voice, right? And they don't learn to acknowledge and honor what they want and feel. So I think if your child is a leader in that way, that's so beautiful. And we want to harness that. But leaders consider everyone. They don't just consider themselves. Ooh. And so having those conversations, that sort of conversation, I think would be really helpful. Oh, I like that. I like that leaders consider everyone, not just themselves. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I love that. Okay, so what if, you're, what if your child is on the other end and you feel that they are kind of a doormat so this is where the, the idea of boundaries also plays because w- we want them to have that voice. So at home, I want you guys to work on modeling self-love and then I want you to applaud your children as well. So I think so many of us grow up with negative inner voices and very critical voices of ourselves. And that inner voice is often an outer voice and our children see that, you know, mm-hmm. if we make a mistake, they might hear us call ourselves an idiot or use a curse word or put ourselves down. And I want you to celebrate yourself, your Mm -hmm. efforts, your accomplishments, who you are. And I want you to do that with your child as well, because what they hear from us becomes their inner voice. And if we can really make their inner, their, their sense of self robust and, and strong and durable, then they will feel like they, what they have to say matters Mm -hmm. and they will feel more comfortable to speak up and to not be a doormat in that way. Mm. On the other hand, some children have a temperament where they really don't care. Like they're happy to go along with what the friend says and they don't want to have to come up with ideas themselves. So I think like you mentioned before, projecting onto our kids, recognizing, is this okay with my kiddo? And is this just not okay with me? Then I need to handle myself. But if I can tell that my child's upset because they're not having a say, then how can I help them find their voice? And maybe the first few times you are the voice for them with their friend. Oh no, it looks like we're only doing what Sally wants to do. Can we make sure that we do what Becky wants to do too? Or after that, then you can guide your child before a play date. Hey, I know your friend sometimes steamrolls things and I want you to, to practice saying, Hey, can we do this instead? Or I might, I'd like to do this. Maybe we could do that after, you know, baby steps, right. 
And then at some point your child will develop more of that skill to be able to speak up for themselves on their own. Oh, that's so great. And so true about the projection piece, right? That we, we sometimes feel our own stuff or we feel it's really unfair and checking in with your child, just having that conversation, like, look, I see that they do that. Are you okay with it or not? And going from there, like, that's like, oh, right. That makes sense. You know, yeah. and not just assuming, you know, that, and, and we're so quick to label good and bad, right? Oh, that's really bad. Or that's really good. Mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it just is. And we've got to figure out how that fits. Right. Um, okay. So what if your child is, is facing a bully and is getting bullied, is getting made fun of for whatever reason. I mean, it doesn't seem to, there doesn't have to be any rhyme or reason to why a child can be bullied. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do? What do you do if that's happening? Well, like you just mentioned, we label things good and bad sometimes. And we do that with friends as well. Oh, you have such a good friend. They're your best friend. Oh, that's like a bad friend. But we don't always get specific about what that means. What mm. does a good friend say or do? How do you feel after spending time with a good friend? What does someone who maybe is a not so friendly friend say or do? And how do you feel after spending time with them? And really help them gain that awareness about what healthy friendship is and is not. With that, that's power because then if a child is mistreating them, whether it's an unkind friend or a bully, they're going to have an internal red flag wave that says like, hey, my parents talked about this with me and this person shouldn't be treating me this way. So that's kind of the first step is really what is bullying? So the definition is Hmm. kind of technical is a repetitive pattern of ill-intentioned behaviors could be aggression between two people where one person is acting that way towards another. And there's typically a power imbalance for your children. We can describe it as someone is being mean on purpose time Mm -hmm. and time again, right? Like over and over. And that makes it very clear to them as well. Is this person just sometimes not very nice or is this person actually being a bully or engaging in bullying behaviors? Mm -hmm. And then you can also have the conversation about what to do about it. And most schools have programs in place these days, and they're a lot better than they used to be. Um, Previously, it was a lot of, to the child who was engaging in bullying behavior, you're suspended, you're expelled, but there was no processing of what maybe is happening for that child. Yeah. And now they, now they have, a lot of the programs have restorative justice. So they want to help the child who's bullying improve their empathy skills and understand the impact of what they're doing. And then for the child who's being bullied, it helps them feel protected and nurtured and secure and safe at school. So look up what your program is, talk to the principal or the school Mm -hmm. counselor and find that out. Who should my child go to if they're being bullied? So -hmm. now your child knows what bullying is, what unkind behavior is, who they can talk to, what they can say, and know that that the adults around them are going to keep them safe. So I think it can be complicated and confusing too, because you can get in a situation where maybe the child doesn't want to say anything, doesn't want to speak up for fear of being even more bullied, or maybe now this child will bully my sister at school too. Or, you know, what if I maybe believe a little bit of what this bully is saying? So, uh, so I have two questions. What do you do then? And then what are some of the things to actually teach your child to say? So if your child is being bullied or knows about someone being bullied, but you can tell they're, they want to tell you, but they're nervous. And maybe they do tell you, but they tell you, don't tell anyone. I don't want to make this worse. That is actually a very, very common reason for not reporting bullying. 
with the school programs that there are now and their bullying prevention months, we're in October right now. I know mm -hmm. this will air probably later on, but right now it's bullying prevention month. And a lot of schools have programs in place and kindness days to really let the students know what would happen if they reported and how reporting is the right mm -hmm. thing to do. Okay. And as a parent, you want to relay that same sort of message, which is you can trust me with this. And if, if I need to seek other support by letting your teacher, your school counselor, your principal know, know that I'm doing that because it will help. I know what is going to happen. I'm your parent. My job is to keep you safe. Sometimes that means telling things that we maybe wanted to keep a secret, mm. but it's my job to keep you safe. And the school also really knows what to do. So the more grownups we get involved, the more we're going to make sure this doesn't happen to you. This doesn't happen to your sister. As we have to breach that confidentiality sometimes in the sake of actually being more helpful than holding it all in. Well, and I also think that what you said speaks to the fact that we need to have strong relationships with our kids so that they want to yes. come to us, that they see us as figures of not just stability, but trustworthiness and that, that we respect them so that they know that we won't go and, you know, ruin it for them, you know, mm -hmm. because that, that that's real. They're spending a lot of time at school and that could be really painful for them. Right. right. So, so I, I really like that you said that. And, and so what are some things to say to the bully to sort of neutralize the situation if, if that's even yeah, possible? It, it <laughs> depends on, I think the spectrum of what sort of bullying is happening. Okay. The not so friendly friend, my book talks to a very simple boundary with mm -hmm. more of an unkind friend than with a bully per se. Um, but what the character in my story says is that's enough. I don't like how you're treating me. And since I have control over myself, I'm going to go play with the friends who make me feel good. However, when you're ready to treat me nice again, you're welcome to join. So mm -hmm. it's this firm yet flexible boundary that says I can protect myself. I can stand up for myself and I can choose how I'm treated by others. And I can choose to put myself in situations that make me feel good. But it also leaves the door open to say, I'm not completely rejecting you. I'm not pushing you away. And I'm not saying that you're a terrible person. I'm saying your actions I'm not okay with. And when you're ready to change those actions, then we can engage with each other again. So if it's an unkind friend or a lower level bullying situation, that's a great way to handle it. Um, if it's a bit more intense, a bit more frequent, if there's any physical aggression involved, speaking up and saying, you need to stop this is mm -hmm. important, but also then you get the adults involved because mm -hmm. sometimes things are just too big for you to handle. And if it feels too big for you to handle, you need my help. And I hope that you come to me and I, and mm -hmm. that will be the right choice so that I can really help you. So I think depending on your child's situation, their age, what's happening, kind of gauge it in that way. But the sooner mm -hmm. they can get us involved, the better, I think in general, because then also we can talk to other parents or we can talk to the mm -hmm. teachers and figure out what the protocol or policy is so that we're in line and aligned mm -hmm. with everyone. How do you talk to parents whose child is being bullied and their feelings about it? Because that's going to affect a parent too. They may feel rage, anger. They may feel so defensive of their child. They may feel scared, mm -hmm. worried about school, feel sick when they're at work or when they're just when their kids are away from them. How can you manage that as a parent? That's so hard because you do, you put your children in school, hoping that they're going to be safe and cared for and loved. And if you know, that's not the environment that's happening, that feels really terrible. Mm. Yeah, having that communication with the school officials and making sure that there's a plan in place to support your child can help relieve some of that fear. 
they also can help to educate you on what they're going to do with the child who is bullying. So you feel like a plan is in place to, to not only minimize what is happening, but to stop it or prevent it from happening again. Mm-hmm. And I would say just to rely on those sorts of factors, but also it, it may be worthwhile having your child see a therapist so they can process what they're going through mm-hmm. you yourself mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it is, it's really easy. My daughter, for example, when she was in preschool, um, she got her finger slammed in a door and actually cut off the tip of her finger. It was able oh. to be sewed back on. So we're all okay. Um, but the door was closed by another child. And even though it was completely accidental, there is that mama bear instinct of who was it? I want to know, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm to get them. But um, my husband, and I had to be like, it's another child of the same age and kids are learning every day, just as much as we are learning how to be parents every day. And they're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Now, bullying is that repetition where it's more intentional and more maybe filled with malice than being yeah. just unkind occasionally. So that that's where it's hard. Cause you're like, why is this person targeting my child? Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully there's a system in place where you can utilize the supports. Um, and there's also support groups you could find if you searched online for your area. Mm-hmm. And so much is virtual these days as well. Cause as a parent, you might want to talk with other parents that are going through the same thing and be able to process it as well. Mm. Does it ever help to talk to the other parent of the, the uh, air quotes, the bully, the child who's the bully? Or does that just cause more problems? I know. (laughs) I think if it's, if you guys are already family friends and there's a trust and communication there and it's maybe more of the unkind friend situation, I think that's an okay thing to do because then hopefully there's an understanding that both parents, sets of parents want the best for their collective children. Um, But if it's kind of an unknown commodity sort of situation where you don't really know the other parents, Mm -hmm. I think very unlikely will you have a um, positive outcome if you go straight to the other parents. Yeah, I think everybody comes with lots of defensiveness mm-hmm. uh, because we're all mama bears, right? Yes. Um, okay, so so let's say you're you're in a situation where your child is being bullied. You you might be actively involved with the school and and working on it. And so then your child comes home from school, and maybe you want to know, like, okay, how did today go? What, you know, were you bullied? You know, are we making progress? How do you broach the subject without being <laughs> without bringing even more attention to it and making it a bigger deal. Right. I think open-ended questions are always really good, you know, and it, depending on your child, you you'll know whether to go broader, more general or more specific. Um, and again, going back to what you were saying, just a, an atmosphere in your household of open communication and that, mm-hmm. that strong connection from the start, because you know, your child better than anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, how was your day? How are things going? A month ago, you were dealing with bullying by so-and-so. Has that improved? Do you feel like it's going okay? Or does more need to be done? Mm -hmm. Um, Depending on your kiddo. But I think checking in, we fear sometimes, even with like suicidality, we're afraid to ask, are you suicidal? Are you Mm -hmm. you having thoughts of hurting yourself? But actually those really direct questions, research has shown, they don't increase the odds that someone is then going to harm themselves or kill themselves. And in fact, being that direct helps this conversation begin to prevent it. So I think in the same way, if your child's being bullied, you don't want to be every conversation smothering them with bullying talk Yeah, exactly. um, where they can't escape the bullying and now they can't escape it at home either. The conversation about it. Yeah. I think every once in a while checking in and being very direct, you know, so-and-so was bullying you. Has that improved? Do you feel safe at school again? Are you Mm -hmm. enjoying school now? You know, are things Mm -hmm. better? And having that talk every once in a while, just touch points, um, I think can be really, really helpful. Oh, I like that. I like that. That that's really great. And you just 
you, you want to do the right thing, but we don't know how to do the right thing sometimes. So it just helps to know that. So in terms of this bullying subject, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you come up with a lot that is a big pain point for either the child or for the parent? Anything that I haven't asked you about? One aspect of bullying that's relatively new, and it's something you and I wouldn't have encountered is cyberbullying. Of course. And it's so prevalent and it's, it's heartbreaking because you think about back when you got bullied in the schoolyard decades ago, you came home and it was your safe haven, right? You were, you were free of those people or that person. And nowadays our children potentially have devices where they're connected to the World Wide web and all the apps and programs that connect them to their peers at all hours of the day. Mm -hmm. And so if they leave school and come home, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're safe from certain people or certain groups of friends and what, whatever's happening. So I think in that case, as a kind of in the same way that you need to go tell the teachers if something's happening and you need to show your child, you will protect them and you will take the steps necessary to do that. The same is true of cyber safety. You need to be having conversations around cyber safety. You need to be having conversations around and setting limits, ideally Mm -hmm. on phone, iPad, computer usage, as well as programs that are allowed and parent controls. Mm -hmm. I think it's our job to step in and make sure that we're doing what we can in those cases. That way, if they are experiencing a bully at school and the bully is following them on the internet and tracing them back to their house. And maybe they still haven't told us, but we've eliminated certain apps or the use of certain apps at certain times. Um, Maybe the children aren't allowed to have their phone in their bedroom or something along those lines where you're always aware or as aware as you can be, that's, that's going to really help. You know, I think back to when we had a computer in our house, it was in the family living room, you know, so if you were on there, everyone could see what you were doing. And also I think there was only AOL instant messenger at that time, you know, there wasn't a whole lot you could do. Um, but nowadays, you know, these kids have their iPads and they put on their headsets and they're in a whole nother world. And so I think it's our job to really be checking in because cyber bullying. So I think regular bullying, it's something about 20% of kids report it, but I think it's probably underreported and cyber bullying. They're saying about 15%, but I have to think that's way more. Oh, I would say it's way more too. Even just one-offs here and there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even my kids, I've seen, I've seen stuff and I'm like, whoa, you know, what was that about? Right. Uh, and so what I'll say is I have had some other episodes with some experts who talk about this and, uh, and I, I, I'll, I'll just mention those episode names in the show notes too, for people listening, because Wonderful. there is the, th- there are a lot of settings that you can change, you know, apps you can use, different things like that, that will help you with your child. Uh, And, you know, I think the other part of this cyberbullying piece, and thank you for bringing it up, is that we also need to remember when we give our kids access, we are allowing others to access them. And so we've got to make sure that they're old enough and mature enough and that we set those boundaries ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So we don't so we at least try to minimize what could happen, right? Right. We don't want our kids to be hurt and it can be pretty scary out there. It can. Oh, and I'm going to go through your show notes for today's episode and find those things. My kids are just five and three. So we're not even at that age yet. Although probably yeah. in the next few years, some of their friends are going to have cell phones. And my hope is that we avoid that until high school, but who knows how it'll really go by the time 
they're begging for it, you know? I know. Well, I mean, they're talking about Instagram for kids and I don't think that's necessary. We, mm-hmm. we don't need to rush this. They're only kids for such a small amount of time and they have lots of time for that. I did have the, the head of uh, Instagram's head of safety and well-being on the show. And right. she did talk to me about all of the different things that they're doing. And there is in the parent toolbox, a, a whole parent guide on how to make the app safer, how to talk to your kids about it and, and that sort of thing which is great. And of course there has been some news lately on, you know, Facebook and hate and, you know, all of that, you know, being what they sort of, well, what the algorithm promotes. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a difficult world out there. And I think we're all pioneers in this as parents and these kids, right? So we're all trying to figure it out. And, uh, and it's, it's no joke. Like it's just, it's not easy to figure it all out. And I, I know we're all doing our best. So can't beat yourself up either because we're all learning this and we're kind of up against, you know, people and companies who know more about the way the brain works, who are kind of, you know, trying to be a little more diabolical and, you know, you just, you just don't know what you're up against necessarily. Right. Right. And some of those companies were profits, the bottom line, not, not consumer care. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's what we've got it. We've just got to know that. And then make decisions based on knowing that, you know, exactly. Uh, and, and I talk, my, my kids are teens now and, you know, we, we do talk about that. I, I talk to them, you know, sort of taking the line from Dr. Phil that like, there are people in this world that every day they get up to hurt somebody, they get up and they're, all they want to do is hurt somebody and you've got to protect yourself. You've, you've mm-hmm. got to protect yourself. So that being said, um, I want to transition a little bit because, you know, sometimes we can be bullies with our kids because we have expectations of our kids that we put on them to please others. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how, you know, we, so, so what I'm trying to say is when we, we want them to perform in front of family or we expect them to act a certain way and they just can't do that. So you know, can we talk a little bit about, you know, what if your kids don't want to do what you want them to do? Like we go to a family gathering, we go to a birthday party and our kids, like I remember, oh my gosh, I remember my mom and dad wanted me to like kiss my aunt and uncle who I didn't even know. And like everybody's standing watching me and I'm like, you guys, like in my head, I was like, so guys, are you, yeah, like, why are you doing this to me? Like I, it was my one, it, I, one thing I, I remember so, so clearly is my German uncle. I didn't even know him. And they wanted me to like kiss him. And he was like kind of scary looking and like, I just didn't want to. Right. Yeah. So how do we avoid that sort of trap of wanting our kids to, you know, be so great with everybody, but also honoring who they are. And then the other side of it is the expectation maybe of the relatives. Like, why can't your kid hug me? You know, why can't my grandson or my granddaughter hug me? I don't understand. Right. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yes. I I'm really pleased because I feel like we're in a day and age where at least with the body autonomy, there's a lot more conversation around that. And the idea that more and more families are saying, go say goodbye to uncle so-and-so, but you can wave, you can give an elbow, you can give a hug, what, you know, whatever feels good to you. And I, and I love that that is now something that is being spoken about. Mm-hmm. I feel like even my aunts and uncles, you know, they're, so they're a generation above me. They understand and have heard that 
So they're not surprised when our children just wave from afar. Um, They're not, they don't feel hurt um, or they don't put that hurt onto the child and expect the child to carry the weight of the adult's emotions. Um, Like in our, our aunts and uncles and grandparents generations where that was much more normal to have that expectation that you show your elders love and you do what your elders say. Um, so I, I'm really glad that things around that are changing, but yeah. it is hard. I mean, I can attest, I've got two kids that are not rule followers at all, <laughs> at all. Um, and so my expectation of what, how I would be as a mom and how they would be as children, I've very had, I've had to work this entire time, these full five years on just accepting reality, you know, and who they are and how they're going to be. I do set up structure around situations to minimize conflict. So we went to a pumpkin patch the other day and we went to a pumpkin patch that was fenced in. Both my kids are like, flight risks always they're just trying to run away I don't know what they're doing um but I love that you admit it though thank you for not (laughs) pretending that you're perfect you know yes my kids are perfect yeah I love it I love it okay my kids don't follow (laughs) rules I love it that's great they don't they're they're incredibly intelligent super inquisitive exploratory kids and so those are the positive terms right to describe their nature which could also be described (laughs) right yes um you know the flip side could be disobedient defiant, um, those sorts of terms. And sometimes I feel that way. Yeah. Bad. Exactly. Sometimes I feel that way. And I'm like, Oh, I wish my kids were more obedient, but at the same time, they are carving out their own path in the world. And so Mm -hmm. I structure situations in that way. Same thing. I only go to parks that are fenced in because then I know there's a physical barrier that will help prevent. It doesn't always stop, um, their escape. I have had to chase my daughter when my son was at like six months old and he was sitting, um, he was at the age where he could sit. We were at the park and she found the one gate out and just bolted. And I had to like put him down on the sand and then jump the fence and go chase her. So it doesn't always even work, but same thing in family situations. If you know your child's more shy, then you can set that expectation ahead of time. Hi, mom and dad. Hi, brother and sister. Just a reminder. My child feels more shy. Sometimes please don't force the issue. They will Mm -hmm. come over to you when they feel comfortable and prepping them. And then with your child, also same thing. We have this projection of like, we want our kids to be these confident social creatures, Mm -hmm. but they're like little kids. And like you said, aunts and uncles can look scary. Adults can be intimidating. And if they don't want to go hug and kiss or even acknowledge that feels not great because we want our kids to be like these little perfect things, but who cares really? Like, is it really a problem? It's not. And the more you push your children, oftentimes then the more they dig in their heels. Whereas if you give them acceptance and love for who they are, then they're, they, it's a springboard for them to feel comfortable now to try these different things. So I think setting up the structure, preparing the other adults, and then to some Mm -hmm. extent, just acknowledging that your kid will be a kid and they're going to jump on couches and they're going to spill food and that's okay because they're kids. Yeah. Well, and yeah, not expecting them to be some perfect children. Like Van Trapp kids, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And And that it's also not personal, you know, like it doesn't mean they don't love you, grandma and grandpa or auntie and uncle. It just means that they are facing something in themselves. And I remember, you know, with, with my two kids and then my brother and sister-in-law who were really close with their two girls. So they've got, they've got their two kids. We've got our two kids. And, you know, my, my one son is 
outgoing and friendly and talkative. And then their oldest daughter, she just goes away and doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to be bothered right away. She just needs some time to warm up. And it was very difficult to sort of, you know, coach the grandparents to not be like all over them because it was like, hey, you guys, you know, like it was like, could you just chill? And they took that personally, too, when we would say, like, could you just like kind of, you know, let them ease into it? So there can be that dynamic. And and you just, you know, I think you just keep trying. You just keep communicating. It's not personal. You know, they really love you. They want to be with you, but you just got to give them a little bit of time. This is a new, like, this is a different house. There's different smells, you know, and sometimes people are drinking and they can get a little over aggressive and stuff like that too. And that's all of that is overwhelming for a child. Mm-hmm. So again, everything that you said makes perfect sense. And, uh, and, you know, we all have different family and, I, I, you know, I've worked with clients that have, that have said, well, my, it's so embarrassing because she won't do this or he won't do this. And it's like, well, you know, it, it just is, and we can explain it. Right. And it's not personal. So please don't take it personally. Exactly. And if, and if you are feeling embarrassed, where do you think that's coming from? Mm. Why does that matter? What does it say about you if they're Mm. not doing X, Y, or Z? And what's the evidence underneath that? Or what is, what does that mean about who you are? What does it mean about them? where does that thought come from? And kind of really trying to yeah. break that down too. Cause so often it's just our own stuff and we put it onto our kiddos and going back to what you were just saying about the grandparents coming in kind of intense, if their feelings are hurt because our child doesn't behave in the way that they want them to, I, I have compassion for them. Cause that doesn't feel mm-hmm. good, but you're also a grown up and you can handle your own emotions. <laughs> I don't care really to some extent, right. If you're uncomfortable, because I'd rather have you grown up be uncomfortable than my five-year-old right. deal with un- discomfort because of you. Do you know right. what I mean? A hundred percent. Like get over it. Right. Like yeah. that, that's when it's okay to say, get over it. Yeah. it. yeah. Well, and, and the fact of the matter is it will impact the relationship. So you do need to get over it because right. you want a close relationship with your extended family, you have to honor who everybody is and not everybody's going to come, you know, exactly how you want them to. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's so important. So, um, so I think that's, I, I I love that we're talking about this and, um, and I love that we've talked about boundaries and, you know, let's maybe talk just for a minute about how to set up good boundaries for your kiddos. Like what, you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, what does a good friend say or do? What does a unkind friend say or do? Uh, is there any more to the boundary piece that you want to talk about? I mean, there's boundaries that we have with our kids, right. That we want to hold those boundaries and not sort of hold them one minute, not hold them the other minute, you know? Um, but what, what, uh, what else is there on the topic of boundaries? With our kids, going back to having conversations, this is another conversation that needs to be had if you want your child to be able to develop the skill a lot earlier than a lot of us did. Yeah. Um, and with, with my book, The Not So Friendly Friend, a lot of the adults that read it are like, oh, where was this when I was a kid? Or I wish I was learning this before my 30s or 40s. Right. And so it's, it's a fabulous tool. And at the back, it has conversation starters and discussion questions, which actually I've shared with you. So that'll be in your toolbox on the website. So whoever um, is following the podcast, you can see those right there. Um, and download them, but having conversation about getting specific about what is a boundary. And so it's easy to describe a boundary in terms of maybe a physical barrier. So you can imagine mm-hmm. a white picket fence around a yard, and that is a kind yet firm 
demonstration of this is my property that I'm in charge of, and this is not. And ideally your fence will have a gate and that gate says, yes, some people are allowed in here, but really probably only the people that I want to allow in here. And so that is a physical boundary when it comes to interpersonal boundaries. And when you're trying to teach these to your kids, we can describe a boundary as a limit that you say. So you need to speak out loud and clear. I like, or I don't like this or that, that you're doing to me or to other people. And then the this final step of setting a boundary is actually upholding the boundary, like you just mentioned. Mm. If we set a boundary, but then when that boundary is crossed, we don't uphold it, that other person has learned that we don't actually mean what we say and that they can step over our boundaries time and time again. Mm-hmm. And so we have to get comfortable setting, as a parent, we have to get comfortable modeling boundary setting, and then also encouraging our children to have that voice. And they might set boundaries with us. They might set boundaries with their siblings. And that is a little sticky because we kind of want these super obedient children, right? That just do what we say. (laughs) Don't we all? Yes. Um, But when they set boundaries, we need to respect that as well. So I know mealtime, my daughter is very particular about what she eats. She doesn't eat huge quantities. And so I want to just like shove food down her mouth. I'm like, you just need to eat. I want you healthy and robust. So eat, eat, eat. But if she's yeah. full, then I need to respect, okay, you're telling me that your, your stomach is full and we're going to acknowledge that and honor that. And we're going to stop eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having those sort of like respecting their boundaries in that way. If I can add on to that is that when you, when you have that boundary and, uh, what, what, sorry, when you respect your child's boundary, if you don't, then you're going to make that food a bigger issue too, right? If you don't stop where the boundary is with your child, like I respect that you're saying you're full and you really aren't asking for food later on, right? You, you've, if, if you don't respect that, you're going to make food a big issue. You're going to make whatever it is a big issue, right? Because it's about you. You're uncomfortable with your child not eating enough and it's not about you. It's about them. They're saying yeah. they're fine. Our kids will not starve, right? They will mm-hmm. not starve. They consume their calories, you know, over 24 hours, not just in each little meal segment. And, you know, they get their nutrition really in, in the course of, of a week. And, and obviously that's just one situation, but you know, mm-hmm. when you, when you really think about it, you've got to step out of yourself and say, okay, what is going on with me? What is the story I'm telling myself about that? Absolutely. And then with modeling boundaries, we may not be that good at that either. We might not be that practiced. And so it feels uncomfortable, but you'll want to walk through what you're thinking. This helps your child make sense of your process so that they can make sense of their own as well. And so let's say this is an example I give a lot, but you're at a restaurant and you order your food and the food that is delivered to you is not what you ordered. Mm. A lot of us people pleasing folks might be like, "Oh, oh, well, I'll just eat this right? Like I'm not going to do any, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but if we want to encourage boundary setting and speaking up for ourselves, then we may say to our child, Oh no, this isn't what I ordered. I'm sure the server would want to give me what I asked for. And I deserve to get what I asked for. So when they come back, I'll just let them know about the mistake so that they can fix it. And then you do that. And so that shows, Oh, my mom or my dad or my caregiver values themselves and they speak up for themselves. And they have power over their life experiences. And I think that's where boundaries are kind of your like superpower. They're, mm-hmm. they're, I think they're magical. They give you agency over your life. And to 
to give that gift to your children when they're young and help them mm-hmm. have agency over their relationships, but also their life in general, because they can speak mm-hmm. up for what they need. I think it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. And also showing them that you can hold a boundary with kindness, mm-hmm. right? With, with love for yes. them and for the person that brought you rice instead of the salad, you know, that you really yeah. wanted. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think that's such a good point because boundaries get a bad rap, right? They're like, yeah oh, that I don't want to be mean, right? That's a thought. Oh, I don't, I just didn't want to speak up because I didn't want to be mean. I didn't want to hurt their feelings. Here's the deal. Boundaries are actually the most kind you could be. And it starts with kindness to yourself, but Mm -hmm. it's also kind to your relationship because you're being authentic. Mm -hmm. You're being truthful and you're giving the other person the opportunity to know the whole you. Mm -hmm. If you enter into a relationship where, for example, I have a couple of female clients in their twenties right now. And when they get into a romantic relationship, they have said to me, oh, I want to seem really cool. I want to seem very chill, you know? Mm -hmm. So if he wants to go to the game with his friends and, and be gone for hours, I don't, you know, I don't want to tell him I care because I want him to think I'm super cool. But Mm -hmm. then that the reality is they're stewing on these things that they haven't been honest about, haven't set boundaries about, and then they blow up. Mm, And so when they finally blow up, then that's certainly not being kind. And their partner is like, Whoa, I thought you didn't care about these things. But so it's being, it's inauthentic to not come forward from the beginning with your honest self and give your relationship a chance to be totally open and honest. And if someone doesn't respect your boundaries, well, that's a lot of information, isn't it? And then you get to decide what you're going to do about it. That's right. Yeah. Oh, so good. Thank you so much for all this information. I've Loved every second talking to you. You are such a wealth of information. Thank you so much. In your book, The Not-So-Friendly Friend, where can people get that? Because it is a wonderful, wonderful book. Thank you so much. I'll hold it up just in case anyone's looking on on your YouTube or on your Facebook page. This is the book um, written by me, Christina Furnival, and illustrated by Katie Dwyer, uh, published by PESI. And you can find it on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble Online, Target Online, on the publisher's website. So that's PESI.com. And if you want a signed copy, you can go to ChristinaFurnival.com slash books and put in an order there. Awesome. Okay. And so as we were ending on the whole boundary conversation, the reason why is because that is what you have for us in the parent toolbox. So you have conversation starters and discussion questions all on boundaries. So please parents, take this from the parent toolbox, which of course, you know, is www.parent-toolbox.com. Totally free to join. And we've got so many beautiful tools and resources just to help you parent your kiddos in a more peaceful, intentional way so that you can have lifelong relationships with your kids as they grow and thrive in this, you know, complicated world, confusing world. So I just want to say thank you so much, Christina, for sharing this with us and sharing all of your knowledge with us today. I, I am better for it. And I know parents will, will be better for it too. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was so much fun. And I'm so happy to get to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach, Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you.
Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace.